Our sermon passage for this morning is Matthew 17, 14 through 20. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is God's word. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat. Let's pray together. Our great God, we pray this morning that you would take these words from your scripture, these words which are true, these words which are intended to point us to you, and we pray you would cause us to hear them and receive them, to believe them, to be shaped by them. Lord, particularly, I ask for the help of your spirit. Would you help me to explain these words in a way that breathes life and hope and peace in you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so already, take your Bible, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 17, where Stephen was just reading for us. Um, We at Redeemer are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And what is happening in the Gospel of Matthew is the story of Jesus is being revealed and who Christ is is being unfolded um, in real space, in real time for those who were walking with him. We're at a particular place now where Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's telling his disciples, when I get to Jerusalem, I will die. I will be um, rejected by Israel and I will rise on the third day. So he's preparing them for that. And we get these moments of Jesus revealing more clearly to his disciples who he is and preparing his disciples um, for the ministry that he has for them. So we come to this passage. Um, There are Two realities in this passage. One is very intellectually simple to understand and fun to preach. The other one is very intellectually frustrating and hard to preach. And we're going to try to navigate both of these this morning. We're going to go easy first, hard second. Um, Hopefully, I'll do a better job in this service than I did in the last service. Um, We might need a third service this morning to clean up all the messes that I'm up here making. So our sermon is entitled, Have Mercy. Um, and we're going to see Christ revealing true realities about his power and his work, and we're going to see Christ challenging his disciples in some of their misunderstandings about his power and his work. So if you want to take notes, our first point this morning is have mercy. Have mercy. This comes from verses 14 and 15 and 18. So we're told that when Jesus and his disciples came to a crowd. A man came up to Jesus and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And then verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. 
family. So what we see here is we have a boy who has two realities at play. One is he has seizures and falls into the fire and falls into the water. So there's a a physical reality at play. Second, verse 18 tells us the boy also has a demon. So there's something of spiritual consequence going on here. False interpretation, all seizures are caused by demons, okay? Don't go there. This boy has something physical and something spiritual at play. Accurate interpretation, sometimes these spiritual realities cause physical manifestations in people, okay? Um, So, The boy has a spiritual and physical problem with himself. The boy's father comes to Jesus, finds him, kneels before him in a posture of worship, and cries out, Lord, have mercy. Okay. Now, notice... There's some frustration and consternation on the part of Jesus in this passage, but zero of it, absolutely none of it is directed at the boy or his father. It's at the disciples. So the boy comes, or excuse me, the father comes and says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. And what the passage tells us is Jesus rebuked the demon, it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. So, What do we take from this part of the passage? First of all, Jesus has the power and the ability to heal in the realm of the spiritual and in the realm of the physical. Jesus has the power and the ability to heal all things physical and all things spiritual. And often in these documented stories from the Gospels, like this, when we see those two things put together so that Jesus declares his power over both of them at once. So what's being revealed here is Jesus' power to heal in the realm of the physical and in the realm of the spiritual. Second, what's being displayed here is the willingness of Jesus to heal those who are suffering in those realms. The willingness of Jesus to heal those who are suffering in those realms. Now, don't take that too far and say everyone who suffers anything spiritually or anything physically will always automatically be healed by Jesus. That is not what is being revealed. But what's being revealed is his compassion, his concern, and his care for the boy. His compassion, his concern, his care for the father, and his willingness to heal this boy. Third, what we see in this passage is the appropriate posture of those of us who are in need to run to Christ, to humble ourselves before him, and to cry out for mercy. Mercy, by definition, is give me something that I don't deserve. Give give me something better than what I deserve. Lord, have mercy on my Son. I think the order matters here. Seeing the power and the ability of Christ, understanding the willingness of Christ to use his power and ability for good, and then to cry out for mercy. This is the posture of faith. This is the posture of how we approach the Lord. 
Okay, now, before we get into the rest of this passage, which is filled with landmines and stumbling blocks, just know this. If you're suffering, if you're hurting, if you're stuck in a pattern of sin, if you need God to move mightily in your realm, the pattern for us here is the boy and his father. The pattern for us is to humble ourselves and to cry out for mercy. So knowing the place of our congregation and the, in, the, the individual realities that are playing out in our homes and our families and our networks, like, like just let us find hopeful encouragement from the way that Jesus relates to this boy and his father when he finds him and he cries out for mercy. We're told that, that this healing comes instantly in verse 18. Often that's not the way these realities play out in our lives. So let's be a people who continually run to the Lord, cry out for mercy. So let's become students of the power and ability of Jesus to heal and accomplish all things. Let's become students of the way, the willingness of Jesus to connect with, meet with, teach, heal, comfort those who are in need is on display in the Gospels. And let's believe that he's willing to hear from us our cries for mercy. Ask for mercy, ask for mercy, ask for mercy, ask for mercy. May this be the, the rhythm that keeps us moving forward. It's a good sermon, isn't it? Amen, let's go home. You know, God inspired hard passages too. Uh, and so we get to wrestle with one of those now. So the remainder of the passage pushes us to the second point, how long? And the how long here is not the how long, O Lord, of the psalmist, where someone who is suffering is crying out, how long, O Lord, do I endure this hardship? It's actually the cry of Jesus. <laughs> like, how long are y'all going to fail to understand the point? Um, Jesus is frustrated with the disciples here. We see it in verses 17, 18, 19, 20. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long will I be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. After Jesus heals the boy, the disciples pull Jesus aside and they're like, all right, how did that go down? Why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Friends, there are a thousand ways, a thousand ditches that we can fall in today where we take this passage and make it say something that it's not intended to say. I'm just begging and pleading with the Lord to find a little sliver of land that gets us across to the other side without falling into a ditch. So let me do it this way. Most pointedly, and most affirmatively, 
Jesus here is speaking to his 12 disciples who walked the earth with him first. So before we get into what's Jesus saying to me, let's ask the better question, what was Jesus saying to the disciples right here? Okay? Jesus had given his disciples a mission and the power to carry out a mission. It's in Matthew chapter 10. So turn over there with me for a minute, okay? Matthew chapter 10, begin reading in verse 5. Still hear pages. That's a beautiful sound for a preacher. Pages turning. (laughs) These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8, heal the sick, Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Okay, so Jesus has given these 12 a ministry and a commission to go out in his name and do two things very appropriate to this passage. What were they? Heal the sick, cast out demons, okay? They weren't able to do that. And so effectively, in the the clearest, most blunt way possible, what Jesus is saying here is, I sent you and empowered you to do something, and you failed at it because you don't believe my word. That's effectively what's being communicated here, okay? Now, the idiom Say to the mountain, move from here to here and it will be moved. That was just an idiomatic way in the day of Jesus to say, to make something impossible, possible. So if you insert that back in here, what Jesus is saying is, if you had just a mustard seed of faith, that which seems impossible would be possible and nothing would be impossible. It reads clearly. So Jesus is rebuking the 12 disciples for an absence of faith in Jesus doing the very thing he promised he would do through them. Okay? Do we see that there? He said, said, I'm sending you out to do it. I'm empowering you to do it. And now you can't do it. He's saying, because you don't have faith that I've empowered you to do it. Okay? Now, friends, this is really important. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not magic beans. Faith is not something that we get to like throw around like pixie dust. Faith is trust. Trust in someone else. Trust in someone else's power. So so Jesus is saying, look, you know me, I sent you. You know me, I gave you something to do. You know me, I promised you the power to do it. You can't do it because you don't trust me to do it through you. That's effectively what Jesus is rebuking the disciples for. Okay? So what's being said here is, if we who know Christ and are sent by Christ 
have faith, that's dependence and trust upon Christ to do his work through his power, by his spirit, in his ways, then he will work through us and carry out his ministry. I can hear you, but what about me? You, there's, there's three things you have to wrestle with before you can answer the what about me question. Number one, you have to wrestle with how great is God. Faith looks to God. So we have to wrestle with what does the scripture tell me about the greatness and power of God? Second, we have to wrestle with this question. What has God promised to do? What's he promised to do? Friends, we barely fit in our space anymore. We need a building. We're three to five million dollars away and God has not promised that he would give us a building if we could just gen up the faith of a mustard seed. It'd be fun if that were promised, right? We could have a mustard seed festival and all kinds of crazy things can happen. But Jesus has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, even if you have to meet in the middle of Bonita Parkway. Amen. So we have to become students of what God has actually promised that he will do. So his disciples that he sent out at a particular space and time for a particular ministry at a particular unfolding of God's redemptive plan had a promise that through Christ they could heal sickness and they could cast out demons. I don't see in the scripture anywhere that we carry that one with us in that particular way. So we have to become students of what has God actually promised to do. And then third, we have to become students of how God has promised to use his church. We have to become students of how God has promised to use his church. Because if he's sent us to do a work and promise his power to us, then we can believe he will give it to us. And we can then start to ask ourselves, oh, ye of little faith, why do you not believe type questions? Okay, everybody with me so far? But until we get to the bottom of that, we're just messing people's heads up. How many of you have read or walked away from somebody preaching this passage and thought, if I just had faith, more good stuff would happen? If I just had more faith, my marriage would be healed. If I just had more faith, mama's cancer would go away. If I just, right? How many of us walk away with that? That's not what Jesus is saying. If mama's got cancer, if your marriage is falling apart, if you don't know where your next meal will come from, you need to look to the man in verse 14 and fall down on your face and say, Lord, have mercy. And if it doesn't get better today, fall down on your face again and say, Lord, have mercy. And if it doesn't get better tomorrow, fall down on your face again and say, Lord, have mercy. And most certainly, Christians... God hasn't said, heal yourself. Just declare yourself healed. He hasn't given us the ability for our pastor to walk up in our hospital room and say, get out of the bed. Jesus had that ability. Jamie doesn't. So why should we act like that's the case? Now, I can walk up in your hospital room and I can fall down and I can say, Lord, 
heal this brother and let him walk out of this hospital. And the Lord might just do it. We have to believe that the Lord works in those ways. But it's not about us. It's about him. Anything that elevates me or my power or my holiness is not the ministry of the gospel or yours. I have no idea where I am in my notes, but this one's way better than the first one. (laughs) Way better. Are we recording this one, Andy? All right, let me give you an example. Turn over to Matthew 28. We were here uh, two weeks ago when we preached about the resurrection, and we'll be here in two more weeks when we start talking about God's mission. But look at uh, verses 16 and following. Remember our questions? What's God doing and able to do? What's God promised to do, and what's God promised to do through us, okay? Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's a declaration of who God is. Jesus says, all unlimited authority in all of heaven and all of earth has been given to me. So there's nothing that I can't accomplish, okay? Imperative, that's a command, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now what's Jesus doing with his power and his authority? He's sending his church into a work. He's saying, go, make disciples, baptize, teach to observe all that I've commanded you. So Jesus is saying, I send you into this work. So now we're getting similar but different from what we looked at in Mark 10, right? Or Matthew 10. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now look, I could make a a robust biblical theological argument that Jesus is always with his people, always and everywhere. But what's being said here in Matthew 28 is particularly, I'm with you as you go do what I've sent you to do. And he's promising to his disciples the power, that's his power, to carry out the mission to go make disciples, baptize, teach to observe, that he's promising that power to his disciples in the work that he sent them on. So this would be one of several places in the scripture we could look where we could wrestle with that question, what has, how has God promised to use us? He's promised to use us in his mission to make disciples of all nations. Now, that's not the only one, but I'm just trying to give you from Matthew a clear example of what I'm trying to wrestle down. So friends, before you go trying to apply Matthew 17, 20 to you, or usually this is the way this plays out, before you go trying to apply Matthew 17, 20 to one of your friends who is struggling with something, here's your three questions. What do I know about God and his work? What do I know that God's promised to do in this situation? And what do I know that God's promised to use his church in this 
situation. Because the crazy reality is God in his power could snap his fingers and make disciples of all nations right now immediately. Boom. That's not how he's chosen to do it. He's sent his church and he's empowered his church for that particular work. So we're playing fast and loose with Scripture. We're not being helpful when we make suffering people feel like their suffering continues because they don't have enough faith. And by the way, faith doesn't come from me telling you to have faith. Faith comes from a bigger vision of God and his power and his work and the way that he's worked in other people's lives. So to my friends who are suffering and hurting and crying like the psalmist, how long, O Lord, how long may verses 14 and 15 be your guide? We humble ourselves before the Lord and we cry out, Lord, have mercy on us all. And then for those of us who call ourselves children of Christ. Let's become students of all the things God has promised to use us to to, the works God's promised to carry out through his church. And let's believe those promises enough to be faithful to those callings. That's really the challenge of Matthew 17, verses 19 and 20. Our God, because of his Son, is for his people. Let's walk with him in these ways. So our Father in heaven, would you please take these words and as much as they're true and as much as they're faithful to your scripture, would you cause us to hear them and believe them and walk in them? Help us, O God. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.